0: Okay, hopefully there's no uh, congregational snoring on this on this voice memo. Um, all right, well, we're going to wrap up Genesis, and I was, I was debating whether to just move on and kind of give an intro to our uh, four-week study of the church, which begins this week, but the first teaching will be next week. Um, I debated just going ahead and giving an intro to that, but I also wanted to uh, wrap up Genesis, and I think I can do both uh, in a way uh, today. So, um, we're going to talk about the ending of Genesis, and I, I was just going through our, our reading for this week. And there's, there's some interesting stuff in here. So, um, believe it or not, I have a title uh, for my sermon today. I never have titles. Um, it's uh, Goshen is good, but it's not home. Okay, so we're, that's that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. So at, at the end of Genesis, it's there's a lot of wonderful scenes with Joseph between Joseph and his brothers, and it's uh, I think some of the best um, drama in the uh, in the in the Bible. Really, uh, just the back and forth between who knows what, and the, the, the scenes are wonderful, and the way that it progresses. Um, but at the end here, we, we see the nation of Israel, it's really a family at this point, a family, an extended family. Um, we see them end up in Egypt, the whole family, all 70 of them, okay, it's just 70 at this point. Uh, they uproot from the land of Canaan, which is the land of promise, and they go down into Egypt, and Egypt, uh, with Babylon and Rome, is one of the great archetypal cities Of man in Scripture. Whenever you see Egypt or Babylon or Rome uh, in the New Testament, that is the city of man. That's the Tower of Babel. That is mankind making a name for themselves, ordering the earth uh, apart from God. Um, At the end of at the end of the Bible, we see the New Jerusalem, which is the city of God. Okay, and it, it is civilization built and developed according to the purposes of God. Um, but the New Testament, another word for these cities, uh, the New Testament word for them would be the world. Okay, The world. Um, it's, the, it's in the world that there is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Those are the, those are the, the governing principles of Egypt, Rome, Babylon. But here at the end... Of Genesis, the tone has not yet turned to despair, which it does very quickly in the book of Exodus. Okay, there arises a king in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. They begin to oppress the people, and you really get the first glimpse of what has been a long history of anti-Semitism, of sort of Jew paranoia. Right? They're going to take over. They're they're getting too many. They're going to take over the world. Let's oppress them. Okay, and it's just remarkable how many times through Scripture you see, or through Scripture, but also through history, you see that same sentiment directed toward uh, the people of God, the Jewish nation. Um, but the tone has not yet turned to despair. There is a famine in the land, but God has been watching over His people, and He has brought them down into Egypt. This isn't the first time, you know. Uh, Abraham ended up in Egypt due to a famine. This is a, conti- a recurring theme in Scripture. Down into Egypt and then back up again. Jesus Himself, right, fled into Egypt, came back up again. It's an interesting theme. But uh, I want to point out three things that uh, that God has been up to uh, in this section, and uh, three blessings that He has poured out on His people uh, in in bringing them to Egypt. And the first one is uh, provision. There's three. There are three Ps. Right. This is this is. Uh, just happened to be three Ps. Provision, uh, Genesis 45, start in verse 1. This is right at the climactic moment uh, in the exchange between Joseph and his brothers. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine in the land these two years has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. Okay, so God was thinking way ahead of, of everyone. And he said, hey, Joseph's brothers have sold him into slavery. And this is really the, the great point of the Joseph story. And when we get to the end of it, it, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Okay, so, but God has provided for his people. God has provided for his people. But then you keep reading and you see that God has not only provided for his people, and this is the second P, God has brought prosperity to his people. Okay, provision is one thing. Survival, endurance, prosperity is another thing. Flourishing. So here in chapter 45, still in verse 17. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts, and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. Okay? He didn't just give them uh, the back lot. He gave them prime real estate. The fat of the land. And, and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. He provided his own uh, chariots for, for them to come and, and, and wagons for them to come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Prosperity. Uh, uh, chapter 47. Verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Which was, I mean, that's what God had, had mandated that they would do. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. Provision, prosperity, and then the final thing, this kind of goes hand in hand uh, with all of this, is political favor political favor in chapter 17, sorry, chapter 47, verse 4. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Okay? So Pharaoh himself is showing favor to the people of God. And it's one of the, a remarkable scene uh, toward the end is when, is when uh, Israel comes before Pharaoh and blesses him. What a great scene. Israel at the end of his life. Um, This is like two, (laughs) the two great powers in the world. The city of man, the city of God. And and one comes and is in the city of man, but but is bringing blessing to the city of man. Uh, It's a highly symbolic scene, I think. So you see those three things. And and the book of Genesis ends on on a high note, right? On a great note. But then when you zoom out and you see this moment in Israel's history, you realize that this amazing period of provision and prosperity and political favor are really nothing more than a brief rest stop in the purposes of God, in the journey of the people of God. There is a long, long way to go. And all through this section um, we hear echoes of the promise of God to give them the land. Okay. Um, and this is something that we haven't really talked about a lot, which is why I want to kind of end up here. Um, there's an there's a Old Testament writer. Um, his name is Christopher J.H. Wright. He's a great author. Um, he writes some really good stuff. But here's what he says. And I, I just I'm going to read this quote. In purely statistical terms, land is clearly the dominant note in the ancestral promise. Out of 46 references to the promise in the whole suite from Genesis to Judges, only seven do not mention land. While 29 refer solely to it, the promise to give them a land. The land becomes one of the most prominent features of the entire Old Testament story. And so I want to set this as a, as a backdrop for our continuing study of the Old Testament, but also... Um, as an introduction to our study of the church. Okay? And I'll explain that a little more in a, in a second. So, the, the thing to realize is that even though for the time being, Goshen is their home, um, there is still a sense among the people of God, especially among uh, Jacob and Joseph, and, and the text really registers this pretty clearly, that they knew that their ultimate resting place was in the the land that God had promised to Abraham. In spite of the provision, in spite of prosperity, in spite of political favor, they knew that this is not home. This is not the fulfillment of the promise. Um, So I want to read a few scriptures that run through this whole section uh, that bring this to the forefront. Uh, Chapter 46, verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had uh, to to, cut and came to Beersheba. So they, he's leaving Canaan. He's going out. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. So he must have known that Israel was a little bit like, you know, okay, I understand that we have to survive. But... What about the land? And here God meets him in a vision of the night. And he says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. I'm going to die there, but I'm going to bring you up again. Uh, chapter 47, verse 29. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Chapter 48, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, "Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you, and will bring you again to the land of your fathers." Now, this is—I just said this is in the midst of great provision, great prosperity, great political favor. And Joseph saying, uh, Jacob is saying to Joseph, "This is not the final destination." Uh, chapter fifty, verse twenty-five. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, "God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here." Okay. Now they are they are saying these things, and I'll I, I'll point out that by the way that this is this thing that Joseph just said is what Hebrews acknowledges was his act of great act of faith. He says uh, in Hebrews eleven, I'll turn there real quick. Do you remember this part, Hebrews 11? 11.22 By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And those directions were, take my bones out of Egypt and put them in the promised land with my father and their fathers. That's our land. Okay? And so all of the... The the, the point here is that all of the provision and prosperity, political favor, they're signs of God's presence His steadfast love and mercy on the people. But they are not signs of the fulfillment of the purposes of God. They are not signs that this is it. We have reached the destination. Um... There's still a long way to go. And, and those who are the bearers of the covenant know that. Jacob, Joseph in particular. They know there's something in their heart that aches to be put to rest in the land that God had promised them. And so um, this is a very simple point. But I just want to apply this to us. okay? Because I think it is very applicable to us in, in our day. And the question I want to ask is, is our heart set on the land that has been promised to us, or do we really just enjoy Goshen? We have provision. All of us in here are wearing clothes. We've eaten food within the last 24 hours, um, multiple times, most of us. Um, We slept last night in houses that didn 't let any water in unless you've got issues uh, with your roof or something <laughs> in which case you could afford to get it fixed right all of us in here are provided for very richly all of us in here are highly prosperous okay we're not just provided for the person who makes the least money in here is extremely prosperous okay and despite what you know, what the doomsday sayers would, would, would claim, we have we enjoy tremendous political favor. Unparalleled in history. Religious freedom. Okay? Now, we, sometimes those are at risk and we want to <laughs> make sure that, that laws are in place that protect those freedoms. But honestly, we are on government property right now, worshiping Jesus Christ. We, have great, we enjoy great political favor. We are in a public institution and no one's saying a word. In fact, they're happy to have us. Right? And they, they come and unlock the doors for us. So, uh, we enjoy all of those things. And the question is, is our heart set on those things? Do we interpret those things as a sign that, yes, the pro, the, the, the purposes of God are being fulfilled is that our evidence and if so I would say that's, that's incomplete evidence okay and this is important because in Exodus after the honeymoon period is over Goshen has become a slave labor camp and God has to come and deliver his people from bondage Slavery. Um, and, and the question of, is your heart set on these things? Is your heart set on Goshen right now? Is important because we see in Scripture, and we'll get to this when we get to Exodus, that even after God delivers them from slavery, some of them start to law and, and is bringing them into the land, which becomes the, the primary point of the story for, the next, for, for all of the, the portion of the Old Testament that we're going to study this year the journey to the promised land. Uh, we're not even going to get there this year. We're a long way off. And God has to do... And it, but, but along that journey, people start to long for what was back there, what was in, what we had in Goshen. Hey, yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had prosperity. At least we had provision. At least... Well, they didn't really have political favor at that point. But at least we got the handout, Right? At least we had some some measure of security rather than just being out here in the wilderness having to depend on God. And God says, You are more my people out here than you ever were back there in prosperity. Can you can you believe that? Can you see that? Um and it's the danger of prosperity. It's the danger of Goshen, it's the allure of Goshen, it's the blessing of it's mistaking the blessing of God for the fulfilment of the purposes of God. And I'd say this is a, this is a, a uh, temptation that we will face for the rest of our lives. As a very provided for prosperous and, and politically protected people. This is why Jesus says it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. You really have to see Goshen turned into slave labor camp to really understand that you're not home. And it's hard to preach the kingdom. It's hard to preach that there's a land that is not here that's our home when it's a good place, when it's the best, when we eat of the fat of the land. It's really hard to preach the gospel. That's why Jesus says it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Because Goshen is great. God loves us. We are blessed. What more do we need? And I would say America... Uh, Goshen <laughs> I would say I don't know if we resemble Goshen as much as we, as we share similarities to, to Sodom and Gomorrah which was also very prosperous um, and I'd say we share similarities to them both in the sexual depravity it, that is named after the wicked city but also in what Ezekiel denounces them for and I, I point this out a lot and, and this is really poignant I think But in Ezekiel 16, 49, it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. And you could read, did not uh, use the blessing, did not use prosperity to bless others. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. They say, oh, wow, we don't want to be like Sodom. But in Ezekiel, he's talking to the people of God. And what he says to them is he says, you're worse than them. He says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. But she didn't help the poor and needy. You're worse off because you're the people of God. And you've become enamored with the blessing and consumption And you've cut yourself off from that part of the the covenant where you're supposed to be a blessing in the earth. So he says, you're worse off than Sodom. Um, So ultimately, here's here's the challenge. And this is my my exhortation for all of us. Uh, We need to have a vision of the purposes of God for his people. Uh, In spite of all the provision and prosperity and political favor we enjoy. We need to acknowledge those things and thank God for them. But we need to understand that this is not, that the kingdom of God is, is not yet. Right? It's already, but not yet. Have you heard that description of, of what the church is? Right? It's, it's fulfilled, and it's being fulfilled. Okay? Yes, uh, Jesus has won the victory, but it's being played out. Right? The kingdom is advancing. So, But what I want us to take away from this is that our, our deepest heart's cry, our deathbed wish, should be that our bones would end up in the promised land. Right? We should have a longing that, and we're so blessed, but we see, we see beyond that. We see beyond this little sliver of a moment. We see the eternal purposes of God. And we long for that. And in, in spite of all the prosperity, when we really talk to each other. We say, you know, when I die, take my bones out of here. Don't let me just be an American <laughs> in eternity. Right? It's great here. Goshen's awesome. But I want to be part of that people that gets taken out and planted in the land that God has promised us. And so what I believe God wants to do for all of us, and, and this would be my um, kind of priming us to to go through our month on on the church, is to place in our hearts a longing for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. For us, possessing the land means extending the kingdom of God. It means making our homes extensions of the kingdom, and through our homes, extending the kingdom into the city. That's what entering the land means and taking possession of the land means. So, it's a longing I think God wants to place in our hearts for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit to be the way of life. Okay? Evidence of the fulfillment of the purposes of God are when righteousness, peace, and joy reign. It's not when provision and prosperity and political favor are in effect, it's when there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul says in. In Romans, The kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so this requires faith. This was Joseph's act of faith. And I think part of the faith was, how much favor had Joseph, I mean, he was a powerful man. He was a powerful man. He was beloved in Egypt. He saved them. He saved his own people and he saved the Egyptian people. And on his deathbed, he says, don't let me stay here. Take my bones with you when God comes to do what he promised to do back, back, way back then. This is temporary. It's great. Wow. But I see into eternity. I see into the longer view. And so as we, as we start to, to study the church, I don't, I don't want us to just you know, get some information about the church. I want us to be filled with a sense that we are the people of God in this generation. That we live in a time where we are extremely blessed, extremely wealthy. And we have got to be on guard against that capturing our hearts. And we need to meditate on what it really would look like for the kingdom of God, for us to enter the land in this, in this time and place. Uh, not to enjoy, uh, enjoy Goshen but to really have that deep longing and, and that sense that we are, we are not at home. We're not, ho- we're not at home when there's prosperity and political favor. That's not the home that we are longing for. What we are longing for is to see the whole earth filled with the glory of God, to see every knee bowing before Jesus, to see every, every sickness banished, to see all death done away with, to see all tears being wiped away. You know, we need to understand the power of the kingdom of God and, and how tremendously, how much greater it is than uh, just the creature comforts that we enjoy as Americans. Um, so I wanted to, to use that, you know, the, the, the theme of Goshen, the idea of, of this little sliver in, in the people of God's history, but that, that sense of longing in the midst of it, that this isn't it. Right. This is great. This is the best Egypt can give us. It's still Egypt. right? And I think we need to have that, that, that holy discontent in the land of Goshen uh, as, we, as we are here enjoying amazing lives. Um, I'm hoping that God really gets a hold of our hearts with the truth of his church, with the, the, the truth of his kingdom and his purposes and uh, can really take us uh, and, and, and replace any... Any stagnation that we have in our lives, and any, um, you know, pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease that might be holding us in bondage. Um, so that was was on my heart. You know, not really a, a Genesis teaching, more of a, <laughs> more of a, a pastoral word for all of us. Um, so I think this is good. I, you know, this it's not like, man, we are so. You know, I don't want to. Put all the white shame on, on all the white privilege shame on, on everyone. That's not what we're talking about. I'm saying it's good. God has blessed us. Let's enjoy it. But take my bones out of here when I die. <laughs> right? All right. Um, well, let's. Uh, th- this should set us up, I think, very nicely to study the church, um, because one of the things that one of the things you've got to realize about the church is that it's not... It, the church is something that God has been doing since the book of Genesis, right? Since the time he called Abraham, he's been building his church. Um, and so we need to connect it to these deep Old Testament truths um, if we're going to really understand what it means to be the people of God uh, in, in, in Christ. Um, all right, let's pray. And then if you have any thoughts, uh, more than welcome to share them or, or questions or anything to, to throw in here. I always like to hear... what's going on inside of you after a a teaching like this. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you um, that you have uh, made us citizens of heaven, that um, we are sojourners in this land. And uh, Lord, I pray that in these days uh, where, Lord, we have great jobs, we have great homes, um, we live in a great city, we live in a great state, uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be set on the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And, uh, Lord, the purposes that you have um, been moving forward through all history, uh, Lord, toward a culmination where heaven and earth become one, where the, the heavenly city comes down prepared as a bride for her husband. And Lord, I pray that you would, um, as we transition into this uh, series of of teachings on the church, Uh, Lord, that you would grip our hearts with a sense of who we are as your people, that our hearts would truly long for heaven, would long for thy will be done, thy kingdom come, and uh, would not be satisfied with with anything that uh, the the Goshen that we live in would offer us, Lord. God, I pray that you would reveal places in our hearts where we, we don't even realize that, we, that, are, that we've become uh, complacent and, um, and, and uh, paralyzed in, in prosperous ease. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd make us um, truly long uh, to enter the land that you promised to give us. And we say that, it, that that's a good place, that, that even though the journey is hard and there's a lot of work you have to do on us before you take us into the land, uh, Lord, that is where we want our bones to end up. That is where we want uh, to be buried. And uh, we declare that, we say that you are a good God, and we ask that you would help us to be your people and bring you glory in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.